Well, good morning. Good to see all of you. Good to see people like sitting up this way. That's good. Nice. Well, I want to start out real quick with a, a, a big thank you to, uh, to those that were here yesterday. We had a work day and uh, had over 30-some people here doing a bunch of work. You can walk around the campus and see some of that. We took down some dead trees and stuff like that, but uh, got things kind of spruced up. Uh, you can walk around and look in like maintenance closets that have been cleaned out, organized. Probably won't stay that way, but it looks really good right now. Take a picture. Um, so uh, real thankful for, uh, for everybody who was able to, to show up. Um, we also had some really good food, breakfast. We had lunch afterwards, a bunch of chili. Um, and some of that's still sticking with us. <laughs> I ran home, grabbed some Tums. Um, but it was good while it lasted. Hmm. Um, you know, there's two things when it comes to when it comes to life for me. Anyways, there's two things that uh, get me excited and get kind of my juices going. The first one is uh, people who place their faith in Christ and then really go to town trying to, you know, what does that mean for my life and what does God want for my life? And they get into the Bible and they start studying the Bible. They get together with the church family and and they begin to learn and start doing life God's way. And it's just awesome to watch. The second thing is when the church family comes together for serving and to serve together. Uh, I just love it when, <clears throat> when a plan comes together and seeing people work together and doing what God's called us to do. Uh, the Bible talks about fellowship, and fellowship is not just getting together for a meal. We talk about that quite a bit. But biblical fellowship is getting to know each other well through working together. And so if you ever work with somebody, <laughs> you'll know that sometimes what, how you do something is not how they want to do it, and so then you have to kind of work through that together. And so there's growth that happens. Um, and so just real thankful for that, watching that happen yesterday. Um, also, there's a great opportunity that if you haven't signed up yet, here's another great way for you to serve fellowship with your church family and serve. We're going to serve the community at this time. Uh, so the Northwood Fall Festival is coming up on October 9th. And so you can sign up to help us with that. We're going to be working the, um, the bounce houses. No, you can't play in the house. Um, well, maybe afterwards we can kind of slip in there, you know, take our shoes off. Um, what? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Well, we'll just put one of those little, you know, little boy outfits on you. And you, can, you, know, you can go up in there. Um, <clears throat> so anyways, no, please don't. I beg of you for Becky's sake. Um, and anybody else who might know you. No, so we're going to be doing that, and we'll also have a booth there and um, talking to people as they come by about what our church is doing. So love to have you guys do that. Also, another thing you may not know, Grace Kids is now two hours. So, I mean, both hours. It's not two hours long for the kids. but um, So at 9 o'clock today, we started um, our second hour of Grace Kids. So appreciate those who serve at that and help us. Um, some people actually jumped into children's ministry in order for us to do that. So thank the Lord for that. We're excited. Give us another way of reaching families for Christ. All right, does everybody know what we mean by family hacks? <clears throat> last time we did a redacted series, and I waited till the last Sunday to ask you if you knew what redacted is, and nobody knew what redacted meant. And so I'm, I'm doing this at the beginning to make sure everybody knows what we mean by family hacks. You understand what a hack is? It's something that you can do in life to make life... So you guys know that, so that's good. <clears throat> so if you don't know, I'm, I want to give you a... a um, home improvement DIY hack. All right? <clears throat> Not that. That's that just me hacking. 
So everybody know what this is? Okay, what is it? Yeah, it's a paint can opener, right? So first, the first service are like, no, I don't know what that is. Yeah, it's a paint can opener. Everybody know what this is? It's a paint can or a can of paint, right? It has really beautiful color to it. So I have like about 50 of these at my house. <clears throat> I have no clue where they're at, but I know I have about 50 of them because when I don't need them, that's when I find them, right? So I was looking up on the internet for some interesting hacks that I might be able to share with you all. So here it is. And I got about 50 cans of paint at home, so this is going to work great for all 50 of those. Did you know that? No. Yeah. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. Now, if some of those don't have a little opening, so you have to take a, you know, a pliers or something and pull it apart a little bit, but <clears throat> you can do a little bit of that work yourself. I'm not going to do everything for you. Jeez. Um, <laughs> Anyways, so we're going to be doing family hacks. We're going to look at some things <clears throat> that if you do these things, um, simple things in one sense, it's going to make things easier on your families. Now, I, I could have, at this point, put up on the screen a bunch of stats about families, marriage, families, the struggles that families have, but I think we all get, right, that in this day and age, marriages are in trouble, families are in trouble. We see it in our neighbors, we see it in our coworkers, we see it in, maybe within our own families, we even see it in our own marriage, we know that marriages are struggling, that families are struggling. And so we thought it was important that we need to take some time and, and kind of get our minds back to what does God's Word have to say about it? Because here's the deal. <clears throat> if you, if especially if you're here this morning and you're struggling in your marriage or in your family, I'm going to encourage you during this series that you fight the urge that we all have and that is the urge to say, yeah, but I get what you're saying, Harold, which, by the way, I'm not saying this. So we're going to hit some stuff today, and you're going to want to like, throw cans of tomato at me or something. You're not going to want to talk to me maybe afterwards. I'm not saying this. We're looking at what God says, and we actually go back to the original language you know, to understand it so we don't use today's language we want to know what God said back then and bring it today and say, how do we do this? So it's not me saying it. We want to look at what God says. So fight the urge, because we all have this urge to say, no, I know better. Because of my circumstances, my situation, where I'm at, who I'm married to, who my kids are, who my parents are, you know, I have an excuse for why I shouldn't do it God's way. If you want to have a healthy, growing peaceful, not perfect family, you have to do it God's way. God's the one who thought of this idea. God's the one who designed the idea, and God's the one who's actually given us the instruction manual. And if you're here this morning and you're single, let me just challenge you with this, as we, especially as we talk about marriage and family. You want to find somebody who will be as committed as you to do your relationship, your family, God's way. It's worth waiting for that person. Pray, obviously. Make sure you're doing life God's way because you'll attract those 
who you're like, so you do life God's way, and those who want to do life God's way will be attracted to you. But make sure you're waiting for that person. Okay? It's worth it. I've been married 29 years, and I dated some other girls before I got married, and they were nice people, but they just, it wouldn't have worked. It would have been looking down at it now and it's like, oh yeah, man, have we gotten, yeah, probably wouldn't have been, it was worth waiting for a person who was fully focused on wanting to do life, marriage, and family God's way. So fight that urge, all right? <clears throat> so today's hack is for marriages because strong, healthy marriages typically bring strong, healthy Families, Not always, because children have choices. But if we set the atmosphere for them, the tendency is for them to like what they see and want what they're seeing. Not always, but generally speaking. Certainly, if we're not doing it right, that's going to influence and not do it right. Right? Train up a child in a way you should walk, and when they're older, they'll not depart from it. And we always think, yeah, yeah. But if we're not doing it right, they're going to catch that and not depart from that. So we want to do it God's way. That's free advice. That's not in my notes even. So marriage. Here's the marriage hack. You ready? Do marriage God's way, not your way. It's simple, easy to remember. It's able to be done if you read the instructions. And that's where we have problems. I don't know about you ladies, but guys are typically known to look at, you know, to get a new machine or a toy for the kids, instructions, and then go to town, right? So I bought myself a nice uh, paint sprayer, more than I ever needed, really, and I just, I don't know, I just wanted it. <laughs> so I, and I had some painting I was going to do, like a small piece of wood, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I got this really nice paint spray, which by the way, if you're looking for one, um, I'm, I'm probably at the point where I'll sell it. So if you want it, uh, you'll get it cheap. So I got this thing, I got it all ready, you know, and then I use it. And it's, it's just a mess. And it was expensive paint because it was cabinet paint. I'm like, oh, Oh, that's terrible. I had to sand the doors down back, you know, just, uh, where's those instructions? <laughs> you know, so I pick it up, I read, oh, 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 you know, and then it all started making sense because I read the instructions. So don't throw the instruction manual out. Keep your instructions. Read the instructions. And that's what we're going to do today. Uh, out of First Peter chapter 2, it's page uh, 1213, if you're using the Bible there. And we're going to look at some instructions that, uh, that, Jesus or God gives us through Peter. Um, you know, in those instruction manuals, you have like diagram, you know, blah, 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 see diagram one, you know, blah, blah, diagram. If, if there was pictures in our Bibles, you would have a picture of Jesus, just one, just one picture of Jesus. He's our diagram. He's our example. He's the one we're supposed to follow um, and how we're supposed to do life his way. So, we're going to read starting in chapter 2, verse 21. It says this, now he's talking to Christians. For you, Christians, have been called for this purpose. And the purpose is to suffer. 
Isn't that great? How to win friends and influence people? Hey, come to Christ and suffer. But that's what's going to happen, right? I mean, that's if we're doing life in God's way, some people are not going to like it. And we've got a lot of people around the world who are trying to live for Christ and are literally losing their lives over it. We've got a good in America, way too good. Um, and so the whole, the whole letter, First Peter, is about how do Christians respond to suffering? How do they respond to, being, to being, uh, having suffering or persecution from the government? How do, how do we respond to persecution and suffering at work? How do we respond to persecution in our marriages? So God brings it all the way down to this. So since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, in other words, he always responded perfectly, exactly what the situation needed, he responded. Nor was any deceit found in his mouth. So he never lied. He never, never deceived people. Didn't give little white lies. Go to the next one. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. In other words, he didn't insult people. He didn't call people names. As they were insulting him, making fun of him, he never made fun of them. While suffering, he uttered no threats. You know, we may not say it, but we think, ah, I'll get you back. Yeah, you did that to me, just wait. I'll get you. And at least, you know, sometimes in our marriages when we're, we're struggling. He never threatened but what he did do is he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins. The things that we did wrong against him, to him. He bore those things in his body on the cross. Why? So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. In other words, that we'd be drawn to God for salvation. For by his wounds, what we did to him, we were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. And so we're going to look at some steps. And so the first step is this. So if you're, if you're sitting here this morning and, and your marriage is on shaky ground, or you can kind of see it, and nah, we're not really quite doing it the way we need to do, do it. Or you know people who are going through difficulties, and they've come to you for some advice, and some, hey, how do you guys do it? Here's the first step. And that is to initiate love. Be the first to respond in love. Jesus loved first. Jesus acted first. Jesus didn't say, Harold, you change how you're responding to me. Harold, you start responding the way I want you to respond, then I'll die for you. No. He died for me before I ever did that. He, he died for me as I was, who I was, how I was responding to him. So love first. Be the first to love. Don't wait for your spouse to change. Whether it's needed change or change that you want in your spouse. The hack won't work if you don't love first. First step first. Must have it. Now, this is going to cost you something. It's going to cost some pain. It's going to cost frustration, irritation, 
It's going to cause being hurt physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. It's just it's going to be frustrating. It's certain at one level or another, it's going to be that. Now, if you're if you're growing spiritually, it won't be as impactful on you. It's going to you know kind of ruin your entire world, but you still feel it. You know, just you know. Kim and I, we've been married for 29 years, and we've, I think we've got a great marriage. But it doesn't mean that she doesn't ever hurt me or I don't ever hurt her or say something wrong or say it in the wrong way or make the, have the frustrations of the day come out towards her. And so, but it doesn't crush us. Why? Because we've chosen to do it God's way. And so we... We love first. We, we try to do that for each other. So love first, it caused Jesus to be literally, physically, emotionally, spiritually in pain. He endured it. He endured the beating, the punching, the, the cat of nine tails around his side and ripping his side apart, the spitting, the name calling. He took that. Your sin, my sin against him, he took that. We are, we're going to take some words. You know, we're going to take some attitude. Maybe there's even some, there's some physical, but we're never going to take the eternal, infinite amount of sin that we've committed against God on our shoulders like Jesus did for each and every one of us. He never sinned against people. He never threatened them. They even gave him some advice. And he didn't take it because he could have wiped them all out and been just and holy in doing it. He never deceived, never lied, never insulted, never threatened. What does our marriage look like? What's your marriage look like? When things get heated, when frustrations happen, is there deception? Is there lies? Is there name calling? Is there insults, threatens, threatening people? You know, can I just throw one real quick one out there? Don't ever threaten divorcing your spouse. Don't ever say that. Not even in jest. That means a joke. Never. Especially if you have a kids, don't ever say that. You know what the kid? One of the, the early on, the kids' greatest fear is, is that their parents are going to get divorced. Why? Because they see it all around them. They go to school, they hear, they know. One of the first questions that my kids ever ask us: When are you guys going to get divorced? What? Where did that come from? Well, we had friends who were getting divorced. That's just that's free advice again. Not in my notes. But that pain and suffering for Jesus led to something. There was a purpose behind it. He took it for a reason. Why? Because loving first restored our relationship with him. So he took the abuse. It says he bore our sins. He took our sins against him. And he took them and he turned them to provide an opportunity for us. As we saw him and understood the abuse that he took, so we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That means salvation. Putting our faith in Christ and having our sins forgiven. So now we, we're, we're dead to the power of sin. We don't have to do life our way anymore. 
We can do life God's way because we have his righteousness in us. We have his Holy Spirit in us. And so when it comes to marriage, we no longer have to respond to our wife or our husband the way we think we should. We can respond the way God wants us to and the way we need to in order to draw our spouse to Christ. Possibly for salvation if they're not saved, but they are saved into a deeper relationship with him. Remember, context here is how do you respond to your spouse who is quote-unquote, persecuting you or causing you to suffer. And in the first century, there are a lot of spouses who came to Christ and the other spouse didn't. And so this isn't some theory out there. This is real-life stuff. These Christians in the first century were dealing with this in a greater situation or a more dangerous situation, maybe we can put it, than we'll ever face here in the United States. And so we, we show that same love. We take that same abuse in order to motivate and encourage our spouse to turn towards doing life God's way. Now, it's not easy, right? And it's completely contrary to the way we would naturally think, the way other people will think, the way our, the world around us would tell us, our friends, non-Christian friends and family, and maybe even some Christian friends and family who don't know better will tell us to do it. So this is why step number two is so important. You have to do step number one. And step number one is going to lead you to step number two, and that is we need to trust God. That's what Jesus did in, in verse 23. It says that he kept entrusting himself. That word means to, to allow another to care for or protect. And so as you're dealing in your marriage the way God wants you to, what's happening is I'm doing this, God, because I know you're going to protect me. You're going to care for me. You're going to meet my emotional, mental, spiritual, physical needs. It's an imperfect tense, which means that back when this was happening, it was repeated. So every time, you can kind of get the idea that every time Jesus was punched, every time he was spit on, every time the cat of nine tails wrapped around his skin, every time that happened, with every blow, he kept entrusting himself. No, this is, God's got this. No, God's got this. No, God's got this. And he kept doing that because he kept the purpose for why he was experiencing that pain in mind, and that was to draw us to God for salvation. He was taking the abuse to draw us to God because God would make things right. And that's what he says here. It's he who judges righteously. That word judge there means to make things right. It's not a legal term. It's, it's, it's more of an evaluating term. You know, to judge something. And so he makes, he's going to make things right. He's going to see what's going on. We can trust him. He's got this. He's not off doing something else somewhere else in the world. He's got his eyes on us. He knows which one of us is doing life God's way. He knows who's got the right attitude in doing it God's way. He's got this. We can trust him. He's going to make things right for those who are doing it his way. Do you believe that? Now, if you're here this morning and you're uh, or listening on the podcast and you're a Christian, you say, yes, I've placed my faith in Christ. Then what you're saying is this concept of going to heaven that you can't even really describe. 
neither can I. I mean, what's heaven going to be like? We know about Revelation 21 and 22, so we got some ideas. But really, what it took for us to have salvation, what it took for Jesus to die for our sins, that eternal, infinite amount of sin, and then we just need to ask him to forgive us of our sins, and then he's going to take us to heaven. If you believe that, which I hope you do, then you have to believe he could do something like help your marriage. Your marriage is nothing compared to eternity. Right? So, so if you're sitting here this morning and you're, you've put your faith in Christ, realize you've, you're trusting him for eternity, so you can trust him with your marriage. You can trust him with these steps. You just got to take the step. You just got to do it. All right, so now if you're, if you're looking at instruction manual, sometimes it'll say, you know, if you got this particular machine, go to step, you know, 3A. If you have this machine, go to step 3B. If you have this machine, go to step 3C, right? Well, now we're going to do that. We're going we're gonna to go, ladies, you need to do step 3A. Men, you need to do step 3B. And so we're going to walk through this. Now, in the first uh, service, I, I told the men at this point, go to sleep. Grab your phone, go up on the internet, check the, you know, if you're into sports, you know, check the football game if this one even started, I don't know. But guys, check out for a moment, all right? Because right now I want to talk to the ladies. Ladies, I am a man. Believe it or not, I mean, I know some of you guys are, really? Yeah. No, I'm a man and I'm a husband, but I'm not saying this. I'm reading what God says and then I'm just breaking it down. Breaking it down, right, Greg? Okay. Greg's like, you don't do break it down anymore, man. So that's what we're going to do. But guys, you... Now, later on, if I don't wake the guys up, ladies, remind me, because we're going to be talking to the guys, and then you get to sleep while I talk to them. So, so guys, check out. So in the same way, same way as what? You wives, be submissive. Which means basically show respect. Okay? It's a big word. I didn't use subject. (laughs) That's a big word. To your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, meaning God's word, they may be one without a word, meaning your word, by the behavior of their wives. Oop, go back. Boy, Phoenix is like, get these ladies going. <laughs> He's engaged. Just wait. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. All right, now you can go to the next one. So ladies, step 3A, respect your husband's. Speak your husband's language. Do. Fix. Action. That's how guys understand things. We don't understand words. We understand action. We're supposed to do it in the same way. The same way as what? The same way as Jesus went to the cross to draw us to God for salvation. The abuse in quotation marks, that we may experience, we are to use the way Christ used it, and that is to draw our spouse, in your case, women, husbands, to God. He says, be submissive. That means to voluntarily come under another's authority. It means to give up one's right or will. In today's language, respect your husband's God-given responsibility and position. He's going to answer to God one of these days. You won't answer to God for how you were a husband. You will for how you were a wife. 
He's going to answer to God one of these days for how he was a husband. Let God deal with him. This is a present tense, which means day in, day out, no matter what the circumstance, no matter how your husband acts, you respect him. Respect his position. Why should you do that? Three reasons. Again, this is not me. This is God. First, it's God's design. Man was given the responsibility to be the spiritual leader of the home. Why? I don't know. God's design. If you want to figure it out, study out Scripture and ask God. Help me to understand that. Why would you ever do that? As if the ladies have it all figured out too. But anyways, it's God's design. Genesis 2, Ephesians 5. It's God's command. Ladies, if, if you're a Christian, you've already willingly come under the authority of Jesus Christ. He's your Savior. He's your Lord. God's your Father. He's commanding it. So even if you don't quite understand it, if you don't like it, man, there's things that God tells me to do that I don't really like. You know, I'd prefer to handle life differently than what God says for me to do. But we do it. Why? Because God's commanded it. And thirdly, it's God's plan. That some way, somehow, in this weirdness of me not standing up and taking, taking it back at my husband, if I would just take it and give it over to God, that somehow or another, in that, it's going to draw my husband to the Lord. Possibly for salvation, if he's saved, to do life God's way. Again, I don't really understand how that works. I know God changes hearts, and sometimes he uses us to do it. But here's the cool thing. I see it happening. I see it happening in marriages that start to do this and their whole marriage change. It's weird. I can't explain it and I'm so thankful I can't explain it because I'd love to be, I just love to be saying, that's God doing that. Then people are like, wow, yeah, you're right. This is actually working. <laughs> yeah, it's God's design. It's God's idea. Okay, sorry. I do a lot of marriage counseling and so marriage stuff is just, man, it's just, oh, if we could just get it. All right, sorry. So this respect is shown through serving. So the wife needs to show respect through serving her husband. Observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Pure motives. Respectful. And the pure motive, by the way, is you don't do it God's way to then use it against your husband. You know? Yeah, you know, I've been doing this. I've been really good over here. You haven't. You know, it's not that. It's pure motives to do it because God wants you to do it first and foremost and secondly to draw your husband to the Lord which is the second point there so that he may be one. He may be disobedient. He may have a lifestyle of disobedience. He may not even be saved. But do this that he might be one to the Lord gain that God might gain him in his fa- into his family. Lo- put love into action. Now, some wives will toss this God-given advice. I've seen it. And I'm sorry, because you'll never fix your marriage. Or God will, won't be able to, because you, you won't let him. It's that serious. Failure to respect disobeys God, shows disrespect to your husband, and causes bitterness in, in your husband's heart. Doing the opposite does the opposite. Now, disclaimer real quick before I go on, because I, I need to fly. I should, I should always split these things into two parts. Um, here's my disclaimer. If you're in a, in a marriage situation, 
or in a relationship, living with somebody, and, and there's physical um, violence going on. This is not saying stay in there and get slapped around. Whether it's a, a man or a woman. So what you do is you get out of that situation by finding some place to go that's safe. If you have kids, take them with you. And then use you returning as leverage to get, in this case, your husband help, counseling. And I'm always available. If it's verbal abuse, you've got to kind of, you know, figure that out. If you want to do that or not. It's not grounds for divorce. I know people will throw that out there. Nothing in the Bible ever says that that's a grounds for divorce. But there is a way, if you can, to leverage it to draw your spouse back to, to Christ. All right, so we're going to move on to the next one. Now, before I get to this one, just a, an important reminder. This is the first century. So now we're going to talk to guys. Guys, wake up. Wait, ladies, go to sleep. Oh, like a... Whoa, you're on the computer, man. You can't be... You can't be... Jeez. Man. Jeez. Tell you, I'm going to dock your pay this morning if you keep that up. <laughs> Close your eyes. What do you see? That's exactly what you're getting. Um, so, anyways, sorry. Let's move on. So, context: first century. First century, women were property. Try to get your mind wrapped around that. Women were property. They were nothing more than a piece of property, a tool, an animal, someone that they used, that the men used to make sure that their needs and their business and their home was taken care of. They were property. And so now God's going to give them some advice. Us husbands, he's going to give some advice. And in that advice, he's going to turn culture on its head. He's going to turn marriage on its head. He's going to cause Christian men to do something with their wives or towards their wife, that when they went out to the marketplace, people would laugh their heads at them, off at them. They would think they are the most ridiculous men, wimpy men in the world. Because of what God's going to tell us men to do. A little different today in this day and age. But same thing. Here's what he says. You husbands in the same way. In the same way as what? Live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker. Now, ladies, you're supposed to be asleep, so just don't worry about that weaker thing. Since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. So men, step 3B, understand your wife. The one thing that men say I don't understand my wife. God's saying, do the impossible. Understand your wife. Speak your wife's language. Talk. Listen. Care. Ask questions. In the same way. As what? As Jesus suffered in order for us to have our relationship restored with God. Respond to your wife this way in order to help her become the woman of God that God wants her to be and that you need her to be. So he says, live with her in an understanding way. Live with and understand they're both present tenses. 
So continually, day in, day out, no matter what the circumstances, no matter what you think your wife is doing or if she should do, and all whatever you got that you can complain about your wife, live with her. That word live there means to dwell with, interact with. It's not cohabitate in the same building. It's not, you know, just kind of sit there, two bumps on a log, and never talk. Kind of, well, you know, we're being civil towards each other. No, it's, it's interact. It's, you know, Genesis 2.24. It's knowing each other. Yes, intimate with each other. I won't go into that sermon. I did that a couple of weeks ago. I'm just seeing you guys get a little bit nervous about that. Use the word sex in church. In an understanding way, it means to know somebody. It means to know, it means to know their strengths, their weaknesses, their desires, their dreams, what they need, how you can help them grow spiritually. Not to use it against them, but to help them grow. Again, this was the first century. Men were not doing this with their wives at all. Imagine the impact that made on the wife. Imagine the impact that made on their neighbors who saw that. Imagine the impact we'll have on our friends and our family, our kids, as they see us doing marriage God's way. He says to do this since she is weaker. Now again, ladies, you should be asleep. So this means literally to be physically weaker. But it also describes a, a, an expensive vase and so we need to look at our men, we need to look at our wives. The, yes, they are probably physically weaker in some cases. In some cases, come on guys, you need to get in the weight room. No, in some cases, you know, when I move furniture at the house, Kim is right there. She's hefting it with me. I would not want to be punched by my wife. Don't make her mad. But generally speaking, women are physically weaker. And that is the case. But here's the deal. This is first century. This is wives who are property. They're slaves. Wives worked as hard as and longer than men did each and every day. And so what he's saying here is, men, your wife is not your personal slave. She is, she is not your servant in that sense. Now, a godly wife, what's she going to be doing? Serving. Because that's, that's what godly wives do. But the wife, husband isn't supposed to take that then and use it against her. To, to make, oh, well, if you're going to serve me, then okay, let's do this, 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 and this, and this. We, we treat her like an expensive vase. We care for her. We protect her. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Women are as valuable as men. They are equals in marriage. That's what the honor, the grace of life is talking about marriage. Men and women, we are equal, of equal value to God. Different roles. Different responsibilities, equal in our marriages. And so the husband is to respect his wife as someone, that's what the word honor means, respect his wife as someone of, of the same value as he is. Guys, we're not any more special. So that your prayers will not be hindered. It's still t uh, toe stomping time. So your, your, your prayers will not be hindered. It's not necessarily men praying for their f wives, which hopefully they are. It's just prayers. And prayers, this word is kind of the worship aspect. What he's saying here is this. Men, if we're not going to do this, 
It doesn't matter how spiritual you think you are. It doesn't matter if you think you're some sort of spiritual giant and you know all the answers in the Bible and you can sit in a Bible study and just, you know, help me out teach. You're not doing this. God himself is hindering your prayers. He's digging a ditch. They're not going any further. So if you think you're spiritually mature, but you're not loving your wife the way God says to do it, you're not spiritually mature. God's saying you're not I'm not saying it. God's saying it. You're not spiritually mature. You're not growing spiritually. You may think you are, but you're not. I don't know about you, that just... Yikes, one of the commentaries I read says, you can't ignore your wife and get through to God. The Almighty takes the side of the weaker vessel. When we are truly one with each other, then we are truly one with God. So husbands, we fool ourselves if we think we're spiritually mature and not loving our wives the way God says that we're to love our wives. Well, as the band comes up, we've got one more step. We're going to use it as our takeaway. If you're a first-timer with us, I'm glad you guys are here. Hope I didn't scare you. Um, but we do what we call takeaways. And uh, so step four, this is for all of us. So step four is to ask and answer a question and then act on it. So it's a two-parter, two-part step. Step 4A, 4B if you want. Here's the question. What are five things I can do to show you your love? So a wife is going to ask the husband that question. The husband is going to ask the wife that question. The reason why we're using five is because it's my favorite number. Um, so it means nothing other than that. Um, so if you can't come up with five, that's fine. I wouldn't go more than five. Let's, you know, let's just let things kind of work its way you know, naturally. So what are five things I can do to show you your love? Now husbands, you doing her five things will cause you to become a man that she can respect and that she's going to want to serve. And husbands, if we do that, the five things that she's asking, then we're going to show that we are understanding and that we respect her. We, we think we know how to love somebody else. But until we know how they understand love, we're not loving them. So I could say I love Kim, and then when she comes home from a hard day of work, I could go sit on, my, on the couch, because that's what I want her to do if I've had a bad day. I, when I come home from a bad day, I don't want Kim hugging me. I, I'm, I'm claustrophobic. I've got a lot of thoughts on my head, just give me 30 minutes, and then I promise after 30 minutes I'll come back and we'll have a conversation. But please leave me alone. She tried early on in her marriage. Oh, I, oh. And pretty soon it became a real irritation. So she loves me the way I understand love in that little instance. When she's having a bad day, I have to fight the urge to not hug her because that's what I think love is. And I have to give her a hug because that's how she understands love. So just a little maybe illustration here if you're trying to figure out oh, how is this going to work. Five things that your spouse can do for you to let you know that you are loved by them. All right? Did you get these down? All right, Ben's engaged. So first, first service, he was actually writing all this down real fast when he was up there. So, all right, sorry. Church, you can stand as we sing this.